Before we start the broadcast of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast, I just wanted to make you all aware of the official sponsors for the 2023 series. Our agency are a full-service digital creative agency specialising in branding, web and content creation. They are delivering results in Wakefield for organisations such as Trinity Walk and the Wakefield Cathedral. And they offer upfront, no-nonsense marketing to help you achieve your goals. Drop them a line, follow them on all their social media accounts or take a look at their website and make our agency your agency. If you're a local business in the Wakefield area and interested in sponsoring the podcast, drop Lee or Jamie a message on the Heritage social media accounts and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Now, over to you, Cammy. Hi, it's Cammy, Chris Kamara, and you are listening to the Trinity Heritage podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. They are unbelievable. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to a very special Easter Monday episode of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. But before we begin with the 79th edition of our podcast, let me introduce you to my co-host, my dad, Lee Robinson. How are we doing, dad? Hello, hello, and welcome back to this week's Heritage Podcast interview. Uh, This week, we talked to one of my all-time favourite overseas players, an Australian test player, a New South South Wales State of Origin player, a winner of four Australian Grand Finals, and a mainstay of that great Parramatta Eels backline of the 1980s. And he's also an Eels Hall of Famer. I was fortunate to meet him and work with him in his brief spell at Trinity back in 1988-89, 35 years ago now. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome on the podcast the Zip Zip Man, Steve Eller. Zip, welcome on, mate. Thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure, Lee and Jamie. Thanks for having me. What an intro that was, Steve. Did we live up to your expectations there? <laughs> well, I was suddenly a bit bored there for a minute. I didn't think, didn't think it was me. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, we were just laughing before. It's taken us about 15 minutes, but you, you've, you've got a new phone. You've got your iPad set up. Connections are working now. Yeah, finally, it's uh, technologies. Uh, I mean, it, someone get to my age, technology is not that great. So um, I, I'm not that great at it. So um, I'm learning. Good stuff. Excellent. So I mean, obviously, we are a Wakefield Trinity podcast, Steve. But we'll 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 branch out throughout your entire career. You've had a vast career. But the first question we will ask you is: What's the first thing that comes to mind? The first words that come to mind when you hear the words Wakefield Trinity? Oh, enjoyable. I had a wonderful time there with my, with uh, my family and. And um, I suppose an old uh, an old Wakefield player as well, uh, Graham Gerard. So um, uh, we, I, I still keep in contact with Graham, and we talk lots about Wakefield actually. And but what comes to mind is yeah, just really enjoyable and one of my, one of my favourite times in my life. Oh, wonderful stuff, man. That's a good answer. Uh, rewind if we may. Tell us about growing up in Mount Pritchard. What sort of town was that where you grew up? Oh, it was a, it was a working class town. I um I, I went to school at, at, local, at the local um. Primary school and high school, and it, yeah, it's just a just a normal working class. My dad, and mum, and dad and mum were both um, working class people. We, you know, they were went to work, um, and hours drive away from home every day. Um, come home, and it's me and my um, my four brothers and si- my three brothers and my sister, and and we're left alone to look after ourselves to get off to school and whatever. But uh, they, my mum, and dad were both hardworking um, uh, people, and um, taught us really good values, and that's. Probably one of the good things I like I like about how I grew up, but it was also 
in a really low low socioeconomic area and um, an area that um, I suppose there was wasn't wasn't much in regards to um, opportunities. But um, yeah, you just made the most of it. Good stuff. Was it a rugby league town? Was were you sort of destined to be a rugby league player early on? Yeah, the area that I grew up in was a rugby league area. Uh, my cousins played rugby, and I, I as a, as a, I suppose as a young kid, I had an opportunity to go down and play rugby with my cousins. But um, uh, where we grew up, um, it was a, a rugby league area, and my dad was a rugby league man, and uh, so my brothers played league. So I just followed. The, I'm the youngest, so I'd follow in their footsteps. Did you follow anybody as a kid? Do we were you an NRL fan as a youngster? Any heroes? Oh, probably the one that comes to mind for me is um, Arthur Beetson. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I had a, 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 I suppose, a uh, infatuation with Arthur because um, being a, uh, one of the leading Aboriginal um, players, and myself, myself being an Aboriginal player as well, he, he certainly led the way for me. And, and it was just a wonderful man and a really nice person on top of that. And uh, yeah, just a, a lovely person to be around. But he was the one who I probably uh, looked up to. Tell us about that Aboriginal culture, Steve. Just obviously being an English-based podcast, we see the the All Star Game and and the Indigenous All Stars Game. But what what's it mean to be a, an Aboriginal player and and from that culture? I suppose the thing that which comes to mind is it's it's around who we are as an identity. We're uh, we're we're the traditional people of within Australia, and I know there's a lot of things spoken about around. Um, when Australia was was settled in in the seven, late seventeen hundreds, but um, being Aboriginal means that you actually come from this area. This is your 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 family links and your family ties have always been in this country in Australia, and and um, a lot of lot of my there's a lot of heritage from England, Ireland, um, Italy, and other countries. But being from this country is really important to us, and we actually value that. Um, and I think it's one of the it's very similar to New Zealand, where they've got the New Zealand Maoris, where they they feel as though they're uh, that's their that's their their country, there that's where they originated from, that's where they they were born and raised. And very similar for us, it's it's where we originated from. And and the NRL these days put a lot of bit of great some great spotlights on the Indigenous community, obviously with the likes of Jonathan Thurston and Greg Inglis as well, being uh, being main, main figures in that area. Yeah, I think they they sort of pushed the the envelope a little bit to actually have Aboriginal players recognise a lot more for who they are. Um, before before um, um, they come along with, there was myself, there was Cliffy Lyons, there was Ronnie Gibbs. They all played in England as well. Um, mm. uh, so there's a, there's a lot of players that come before them who, who sort of paved the way. Then you had Greg and, and Jonathan Thurston um, who were really standouts and uh, they, they carried on and, and there's, a lot, there's a lot of great Aboriginal players now playing. So it's just just a progression of of who we are and that we're you know, we're traditional from the country and and we just want to be recognised for I suppose who we are. Did you give a feel as though you were you were recognised for who you were when you were playing or was it a bit of a an outcast type figure? Yeah, no. When I was playing, it was a bit different. It was I mean, racism was a um, was probably a lot rife, a lot more prominent back then. Uh, where now it's they've stamped a lot of that out and um, it's a lot more. Uh, recognition of of who we are as Aboriginal people. So um, yeah, back in the early days, it was it was just something you dealt with. We, we grew up knowing it was racism was was a normal pro- part of life, and we just dealt with it. So it never really affected me, but it was always there. But yeah, as as you go through in life, 
uh, and you learn. You um, a lot of people become more understanding of who we are and, and recognise us as, as the traditional people of Australia. And it's great to see the likes of Arthur Beetson as well. You know, they kind of call him the grandfather of state of origin now and they've just had the, the Arthur Beetson game with the Dolphins and Roosters as well. So it must mean a lot to see that going on in, in the present day. Well, it is. Not, I, I suppose one thing that was really special for me is, is when I you know, picked for Australia in 1983, Arthur was the coach. Um, so that was, it was, not, it was great being picked to play for your country, but it was, but it was even nicer and even more special for me having Arthur as coach. And um, yeah, we we had a pretty special bond, Arthur and myself. And um, yeah, it was just nice to just to be around that era. Great stuff. Yeah, he's a bit of a big legend, and he, he played for Hulkington Rovers over here in the sixties. Did uh, Arthur Beeson long before my time, but uh, he's got a big name and uh, a big reputation over here as well. Yeah, he's um, he's certainly a, a, a larger than life, and uh, he actually played at Parramatta in nineteen. 19- 80, 7980, and um, when I first went there, so I actually played one of my first first grade games with him, probably my second or third first grade game with Arthur, and um, yeah, it was just one of those special moments that you never forget. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I didn't realise that. That's a good one. Mm. Uh, tell us about your junior club, mate. Before the Eels, was it the Mounties? What sort of club was the Mounties? Well, I played. I played for Mount Mount Pritchard, which was a uh, probably the uh, one of the bigger clubs in the area. Um, but I left Mount Pritchard and went to a a small club called East Mount Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And there was a bit of rivalry between those two, uh, I suppose, clubs because um, the Mount Pritchard was the bigger club and they didn't like the smaller club taking their plays. But I had a, um, I had a, they had a really good coach in the, uh, in the, my age group at East Mount Pritchard. And I, I suppose I was at an age where you know, I needed discipline. Um, I, I was following my brothers and, and, um, uh, and my mates down there, I was going out and doing the things you shouldn't be doing. So, but I had they had a really good coach, and um, his discipline was really strict. So, I um I decided to go over and play for him because I feel as though that was something that I needed. I, I needed, I suppose I wasn't learning much at Mount Pritchard. That's what I would like, and went to East Mount Pritchard, and um, I went over there with Eric Growth actually. So that was um. So Eric, I played with Eric since we were little kids. But went over there just to probably learn more about um, how to play. But what I learned was more about who I was in regards to uh, discipline and hard work. Um, and I think it was one of the one of the pivotal moments that actually allowed me to to do what I did. Did any of your brothers play? You mentioned you got a, a couple of brothers there as well. Yeah, all, all my brothers play. They all, they all play for Mount Pritchard. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, my um. My elder elder brother moved away. David, he moved away from Mount Pritchard, moved up to the Central Coast where I currently live now. Um, and then my second oldest brother, uh, Norman, he um, he was probably the best out of all of us. He was, a, he was actually a front row, and he was like he, Norman was a terrific player. But yeah, training wasn't. He didn't like training. <laughs> but if he, he could be, he could be anything if he uh, if he uh, put his mind to it. But he, he just didn't like training and just like going out and enjoying himself. So that's fine. And my my um, other brother Greg, he ended up playing um, at Parramatta with me for a for a couple of years, and then up played one or two seasons at the Roosters. So um, yeah, they all played they were pretty good players. But um, yeah, I suppose yeah, I, I I probably excelled in the way that I probably trained a lot harder than than what they did. Except brother Greg, he trained a lot harder than me. <laughs> <laughs> did you also play for New South Wales on the 17s when you were sixteen? Was this was this through the Mounties Club, Richard? 
yeah, I was playing for East Mount Pritchard and I got picked in New South Wales, the New South the State of Rotten was State of New back then, but it was with the New South Wales team to play Queensland. Um, I was actually I was under 18s and I was still 16. Right. Um, yes, yeah, that was a special moment. The coach was Jack Gibson for the for the New South Wales team. That's the first time I met Jack. Um, but that was a special moment because we played against Queensland in Queensland um, and they had players like Wally Lewis, uh, Mark Murray, Brian Niebling, um, Paul Vorton. So they had they had a fairly good good side. So that's when I first met Wally and a lot of those Queensland players. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that story. So, what's the pathway mm. through to uh, Parramatta Eels? How did you how did you end up at uh, Parramatta? Well, Mount Pritchard is uh, an East Mount Pritchard or a local um, Parramatta junior. Mm-hmm. So we just progressed up through the junior ranks. Um, played in the what they in New South Wales in our competition. The the junior rep teams had three different levels. You had as a 13, 14 year old, you played uh, Harold Matthews. As a 15 year old, you played uh, Jersey Fleet. And as a 17 year old, you play um, President's Cup. So um, then they, they changed the age groups every now and again to, to suit whatever decisions I was trying to make. But I went up through the grades uh, with Eric Growth and um, we played in all the Parramatta junior rep teams. Um, yeah, and just an opportunity to come. Um, in 19, early 1977, I got a, um, an opportunity to go over and play in the, in the Parramatta third grade team mm-hmm. um, with Eric Graith. We went over on the same day, got offered to play for Parramatta at the same time. And um, yeah, so we, we sort of, everything we did, we've sort of done together. But um, yeah, just going up through the Parramatta juniors was the, was the, the way that we, we progressed. Excellent stuff, mate. 25th of March, 1979. Do you remember your first grade debut? Was that new? T- was that West or that was Magpies? Yeah, West Magpies. Yeah, that was a um, Cumberland Oval. Yeah, first game I went on. Yep, and yeah, I remember that. So um, it was funny because Tom- Tommy Radonikas was the halfback for West, and yeah, he was Australian. He was Australian halfback at the time, and um, and my auntie, well, Tommy had a at a sports store, and my auntie used to go and buy a lot of the sports gear. She she ran a local sports club off Tommy and, and when she found out I was, I was playing first grade against Tommy, she went and seen Tommy and said, you look after my nephew. <laughs> so, uh, so um, yeah, it, that was just one of those funny moments, but it was, it was just certainly something I'll treasure because it, it, um, at that time I was only 72 kilo. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was a special time because I was still being uh, 17, 18. Let's just give it that opportunity to play first grade in, in the uh, in the big league, it's certainly a daunting task, but it was just enjoyable. Did you know you're going to play? Because you had a number twenty on your bag when you went on. You weren't selected. Were you in the reserve grade that came through, or were you selected? Yeah, I, pl- I played. I played in the under twenty threes that game that day. Mm-hmm. And um, after the, after the game, they asked me to sit on the bench for first grade. Um, so I um, just sat on the bench, and yeah, the opportunity came up to go on. So um, Terry Fernley put me on. Brilliant. Some big stars in that side. Obviously, you've got Eric Groth by your side as well. Mick Cronin were playing. Sterlow at uh, stand to standoff. Graham Murray scrum half. Ray Price in the pack. Graham Gerard in the pack. Je- uh, sorry, Jeff Gerard in the pack. Big Graham Ollin, Ron Hilditch. Some big stars there at the time. Well, I used to, a lot of those players, as a kid, I watched them, them play. Yeah. And um, actually running in, on, on the field with, um, I suppose, players that I watched as a kid. Yeah, it was just one of those surreal moments. But um, yeah, it was really, really enjoyable because 
what I learned, the higher that you went up in grade, the easier, even though it was, the games were harder, it actually got easier because mm-hmm. everybody knew their job and you weren't trying to cover up other people's uh, mistakes or whatever. So it actually made it easier. And all I did was worry about what I did. It just made my job a lot easier. Looking at that side, if when I was that age, I probably didn't know any of those players apart from Jeff Gerard. He came to play for Wakefield three years before this. Yeah, I'm good mates with Jeff Rowe and yeah, Graham. I see, I still talk to Graham on a daily basis. So yeah, um, but uh, yeah, Jeff Rowe um, played with us for a little while. Then he went went to Manly, then went to Pender. So played over 300 first grade games. So yeah, he's still a good friend. Good man, good man. Your fourth, your fourth first grade game. It could be a podcast all on its own because it was a <laughs> game where you sort of did three ligaments in your knee, ACL, PCL, MCL. It's obviously when obviously I'm a physio by trade. Jamie's a physio as well, so we're fascinated by stories like this. Tell us about that manly game and and the and the sort of story afterwards. Uh, right, so yeah, that's it's one of those one of those times when you'd like to have back, but I um. I was playing in the centres with Mick Cronin and, and Mick threw me the ball and I was up against a a uh, player called Steve Knight. I was I was seventy two kilo. Steve Steve Knight was about one hundred and four kilo. So um, it was it was, bit, it was a bit bigger than Mal and um, yes, yeah, so, but a really good player and really quick. And I used to watch him as a kid. So I got past him and as I was I was coming to Gray Moody, I was trying to get around Gray Moody. Stephen Knight. Um, uh, jumped on my back from the, from behind, but except for my my um my knee didn't couldn't take the weight, so um yeah I just felt it go it just felt it go and it just caused a lot of pain. So so I knew something was wrong, and so I, I got taken off. And well, I was pretty lucky, even though that's not luck, but I was pretty lucky because the surgeon that I had he had just become the paramedic doctor. And he'd been away just before that. He got back that week. He'd been away in in the UK for uh, for six months learning orthopedic um, knee surgeries. So, because um, at that time they actually weren't doing knee surgeries in Sydney, mm-hmm. so um, there was only one other doctor looking at doing them, and Michael Johnson was the other. And so Michael looked at my knee in the room and he said, "I think you've, you've torn the ligaments." So I said, "I have no idea what that meant." So he sent me straight to St. Albans Hospital. Um, so I went straight there from the ground. He come in on the on the Monday morning, done an arthroscope, um, and he come out and said, I snapped both my cruciates and my medial. And um, he said he needs to operate. So me, me being an 18-year-old, I'm not, not understanding what's going on. I said, what does that mean? He basically said, I'll be lucky to, to, to play football again, let alone run because they actually didn't understand what happens with knee injuries in those days. so And that was traumatising. So I had I had the, the operation on the Wednesday. Um, to put the, cut a long story short, I was in hospital eight weeks. I had um, multiple infections. I had um, my knee swell up in the plaster that I was in and it squashed my, my popteal nerve and I was paralysed from the knee down for uh, three weeks. So I had to have neurosurgery. Um, after eight weeks, I got discharged from hospital and I was in plaster for seven months. Um, so that's probably how they, they dealt with it back then. So when I got my leg out of plaster seven months later and I just started the rehab and Michael, my, my surgeon, he brought, this, he brought this leg extension machine over from, the, from America and put it in his, in his rooms. And, so, and he gave me a key to his rooms 
So my re- my rehabilitation started. So I went to his room every every day um, for a year and a half without missing a day and do an hour, an hour and a half, two hours exercise on my leg just to build the strength up to be able to play. Because I suppose one thing I had in my mind was um, no one's going to tell me I can't play. If I can't play, I want it to be on my terms, not theirs. So, um, yeah, I went every day for um, for a year and a half and worked between an hour and a half, two hours on my knee on that leg extension machine. And, um, yeah, so that's probably the main reason I actually was able to come back. And um, so, yeah, I, was, I, missed, I missed 18 months, basically. So when I... When I first started playing, I still couldn't bend my knee the whole way, so I still had a lot of restrictions. But at least I, I, um, I could run and and I could step with a bit of confidence. As an eighteen-year-old, how how emotionally how do you deal with that? How do you manage that's that? That's a good. That's a good question. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I suppose one of the one of the things that um, comes to mind was the family support because my mum and dad come in the hospital. I was in the hospital seven weeks. They come in every day. They never missed a day. Um, at the time, my um, um, as an eighteen-year-old, my um, my girlfriend, uh, who later became my wife, was pregnant with my first my first child, Rachel. So um, so that's that was on top of the um, I suppose the the drama of, of trying to get my, my knee sorted. I was more I was more worried about um, my my um, my wife at the time and uh, my baby. So um. Yes, that was it was a, I suppose, a very emotional time and a very challenging time. But one of the things that I kept thinking about was, no one's going to tell me I can't play. If I can't play, that'll be a decision I'll have to make. Not I don't want someone else to make the decision for me. And and unfortunately, these days, I guess an ACL injury is a weekly occurrence, and it's the, the rehab time's a lot shorter now. It's a lot more efficient, but. ACL, PCL, MCL, was that was that a buzzword in the eighties? Did he, people even understand what what them type of injuries were? No, no, and that's the thing about um, back in the early days when I first done it. If someone done their knee like I did, they never played again because that, they never had an operation yeah. because the, no one was operating on these. They only just started um, doing knee surgeries um, back in the late seventies. So if you think back, there's a lot of players who finished their careers early because of knee injuries. Um, and if they knew, if they actually knew what they knew know now back then, they'd have probably kept playing. But yeah, there's a lot of players end up end up in their careers with knee injuries without having operations. And I guess it helped as well that the it was the Eels doctor who, who put you on that path. But were, were the Eels club supportive of you at that time? Hundred percent. Yeah. One of the good things about Parramatta was, no matter what happened, they covered all costs, which was good. Um, they supported me through the whole the whole process, which was good. Um, and anything I asked for, they provided. So there was no, no. Um, they never ever said no. It was about giving me the opportunity to do what I needed to do, and they'll support me the whole way. So yeah, I'm very grateful how they supported me. And you finally got back in the on the field in in 1981. And your first game was you were in the halves with Peter Sterling and Brett Kenny and Mick Cronin were in the centres. What what do you remember about your return? Well, it's funny, I played half a game in reserve grade, which was my comeback game. And at halftime, they, they took me off and said, you're going to sit on the bench for first, which was a total surprise. So I was just trying to build up my confidence in in, in uh, being able to run and play again. So anyway, they put me on in first grade with about 15 minutes to go. Um, they put me on, put me on at 5'8". And um, 
the first time Sterlow passed me the ball, I dropped it. I was just nervous and whatever, I dropped it. So anyway, I just thought I need to get over this. So anyway, the second time I got the ball, he passed to me. I've actually made a break, run about 40 yards, passed it off to, to Mick and he passed it on to the fullback. The fullback scored in the corner. And um, from then, that moment, I, I, knew, I knew I was okay. And that was against Newtown Jets, mate. And you seemed to get on a roll. That after after that game, you you played um, you played the Bulldogs and you scored a couple of tries. You you, you played South, you scored a hat trick. You got on a roll then at five eighth, didn't you? You you sort of played the first three or four rounds. Well, the the confidence built because I mm. I was more worried about my knee going again. But when I, I we played in that game and I and I was like I got through the game okay. Um, the confidence just built, and then it's just come about just. Just go out and play, and if, if it goes, goes. If it doesn't, just play your play your normal game. And yeah, it was just I, I was I suppose in the right spot at the right time to, to grab a couple of tries, and and um, yeah, just it was just a really um, enjoyable time to just get back on the field. Yeah, then halfway through the season, you switched to centre. Brett Kenny went five eight. You went to centre. The success has kept coming. Fast forward to the playoffs, man, against Newtown Roosters. That grand final at age twenty one. That must have been a big big thing after being out for so long. Yeah, it was, and I, I remember the whole final series from, from the first semi final when we played um, Newtown and the Roosters. Um, then playing Newtown, the uh, Roosters then Newtown. Um, it's what the thing about those games was. I had a actually tore my, my um, uh, ankle ligaments, <laughs> so I never I, I never trained the whole uh, final series. And it come to the grand final, I um, I still had tore ligaments in my ankle, so I had. Uh, three or four noodles before the game. Had three or four noodles at half time. Um, so yeah, so that, that those sort of things, you 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 remember. You don't forget those those special moments. But playing was just one of those one of those special times. And it was the first grand final for Parramatta, and um, a special time for for the club and the supporters. What was strange about it though, because I played um, all my juniors, and every year that I played in juniors, we always won. Our competitions, we always um, won our premierships, and so I'd probably won about eight or nine in a row. So when we come to play at Parramatta, uh, and we're playing Newtown in the grand final, um, our expectations were that we would that we'd win because we we knew we had the team to do that. So when we did win, I didn't realise how important it was mm-hmm. to the fans, to the club itself, um, until we got back to the Leeds club. Um, probably about um, 10.30 that night and um, 10, 10.30 that night there was over 20, 25,000 people outside the club <laughs> the bus had to stop two kilometres from the from the club and get police escort into the into the uh, into Paramount Leeds Club that's when we started to realise how important this was um, it was just one of those special moments that, that you, uh, you don't realise uh, when you, you do something special that, how special it is. Great stuff, yeah, wonderful stuff. And then the following season, you did it again. One of the things that stuck out at me when I looked at that, you couldn't beat Manly all season. Um, and then in, in the playoffs, they beat you 20-0, and then you got them again in the grand final. You remember that 82 season? Oh, 100%. Manly had a, they had a terrific side. They had um, a lot of, I suppose, Australian players at the time. They they had a dynamic halfback, um, and Les Boyd was playing in their side, and yeah, they they were just a, like a terrific football side. The thing about Manly was we couldn't we couldn't beat them. Every time we tried, every time we played them, they beat us, and they and they didn't beat us by a little score. They always beat us by a big score. 
we played them in the semi-final and they beat us 20-0. Yeah. So um, it was like, what are we going to do to beat this team? But we always knew we had the team to beat them. It was just, how do we do that? That's That comes down to the coach. Uh, the coach we had was just, um, I suppose, one of those people who knew what to do um, and when to do it. And his, his guidance, his confidence in us, maybe come in at half time and um, we, we, we had a, we scored four tries in about eight minutes um, going into half time. Um, I remember Jack coming into the, into the, the dressing rooms. He looked at us and said, he said to the whole team, we're sitting there waiting for him to talk. And he says, you guys know more about this game than I do. I'll see you. I'll see you at the end and walked out. <laughs> so I was like, okay. <laughs> so it must be going okay. If he didn't, didn't have anything to say. So, yeah, in the second half, all we needed to do was defend. What was Jack Gibson like as a, as a bloke, away from kind of Jack Gibson, the coach? Um, a lot of people look at Wayne Bennett and and think Wayne Bennett's um, very serious and whatever. And Jack, actually, Wayne was one of Jack's. Um, Jack was Wayne's mentor, so um, Jack was very similar in a lot of ways. Where. When it comes to the media, um, it comes to the serious side of, of what he did. He was very, very, very strict and very, very direct. He, he didn't get into long conversations, one or two words, um, but he had the best sense of humour. <laughs> um, away from cameras and his sense of humour was really like, it was just one of those things that you don't realise. You get someone like Jack or, or Wayne who are very serious, their sense of humour away from the cameras, whatever, it's just next level. Um, and very, very uh, conscious of knowing who all their players are. And that's one of the things that Jack was very good at. He knew who the players were. He knew that, that their strengths, their weaknesses. But he was more concerned how, how you were going off the field than on the field. Because he, he always had this, this theory that if you're doing really well off the field, you've got no dramas off the field, you're doing really well, um, your on-field performance will follow. If you've got troubles off the field, that'll follow you on the field as well. So he had this gift of knowing when players weren't weren't um, playing that well, that something was going on with them away from the game. So, yeah, he'd help them sort that out and um, get them back to playing well. He's one of those special people who could do that. Wayne Bennett's very similar. And was it, Jack, I feel like I've heard a story, I think Gus Gould has told a story once that Jack Gibson really pushed for the players to to get engaged and get married at a young age so they'd settle down and mature and play better on the field the longer that they'd play for? Uh, they never, he never, for us, he didn't, that was something he never spoke to us about. His main concern for us was that we're doing okay. The one, the one rule he had, he only had one rule, and that was that you had a job. If you didn't have a job, he wouldn't play you. Because <laughs> he, he always said, if you're working um, and you're getting up and going to work and you're showing commitment, that'll, that'll follow through when you, in, in how you play. So if you're not working and you're just sitting around all day, that'll show in, your, in how you play as well. So, um, yeah, so he was very, very committed to, to people being responsible. And I guess those attributes that Jack Gibson kind of embedded in that team is is why that they were so successful over that 80s period. You know, people talk about that Parramatta's 80s side now I can still reel off 10, 11, 12, 13 of all the players. Yeah, well, he's... Yeah, he was just one of those special people who who could, I suppose, get the best out of people, 
he could understand where people's limitations were as well. And he wouldn't put someone... He always made one promise to us. He said, he's not going to put someone on the field beside us who didn't deserve to be there. And, and he, he, he kept that promise. Superb stuff. Um, at the end of that season, mate, as well, you ended up getting selected for the Kangaroos and it was your first visit to the UK. Was that was that ever your first visit outside of Australia? Had you ever been on a plane before? Um, well, I've been on a plane, but only from New South Wales to Queensland, but I've never <laughs> been overseas. So it was my first trip overseas and it was just, like, just one of those special moments when you, as a kid, you, you see the kangaroo tours come over and, and the, the British Lions come over to Australia and um, and all the, the test matches. And, you know, I grew up watching and loving watching the test matches and um, always dreamt of playing for Australia and, you know, and going on a kangaroo tour. So having that opportunity was was a um, like a real delight to me and it was a hard work put in when I had my knee injury. That was one of the catalysts they just kept me going is that I actually want to make the Australian team and, and see if I'm good enough with the injury to be able to do that. The only concern I had, though, was um, uh, my, my wife was um, uh, pregnant with my second baby, Kristen. So um, she had Kristen six days after we left. So um, I didn't actually get to see Kristen until she was three months old. And, yeah, I mean, that was probably the downside. But, it, I mean, I had the conversation I had with, with, um, with Anne at the time was, if I don't go, a lot of doors will close. If I do go, a lot of doors for us will open. So, um, and it was just the opportunity to be able to um, play for your country and do what you need to do and, and um, fulfill a childhood dream. I just, I, I chose selfishly, I probably chose uh, whether it was a right or wrong decision. I'm still debating that. <laughs> I mean, you've kind of answered the question there, but how long, how long were these tours? Three months. So we went we're away for 12 weeks. Wow. So we spent eight weeks, nine, nine weeks in the UK. We actually stayed at Leeds in the Dragon R and, um, and then three weeks in France. Superb. And what do you remember, do you remember about the specific games? Just looking at the fixtures here, you played Wigan, Barrow, Leeds, Lee, Cumbria, Fulham and Widness in, in terms of the club sides. But do you remember much about the experience, about the playing conditions? Oh, look, it's just... What it, what it did for me, it opened my, opened my eyes up in regards to um, a different type of football. Um, where in Australia, we're used to playing on hard grounds um, and playing like really um, running the football. In uh, England, when we first went over there, the grounds were nowhere near as hard and they were soft. And, but, we still, but we still had the opportunity to throw the ball around because the, the English teams were throwing the ball around as well. And it just highlighted to me that no matter what conditions, no matter if it's wet, muddy, or whatever, he can still he can still play good open footy. And um, the good thing about that first experience of playing in England, it actually showed me there's a lot of talent in England that we didn't know about. And the fact that playing against those teams, even though we had a really good team, playing against the teams that we played against over there was just a lot of lot of uh, a lot of fun because we got to go to different towns and, and um, get to meet people from those different towns and. And you, you you catch up and meet working class people in the UK. It was just, and I grew up in a working class area, so it, it sort of resonated with me a lot. Um, and it was just one of those things that yeah, you know, I just treasure. And it was our first experience of, of the Zip Zip Man. Tell it, tell us about where that where that name originated from. There was a journalist uh, in Sydney called Peter Falingos, and in the in the uh, newspaper, which so, sort of was a widespread. Um, newspaper that went 
all around different towns. Um, very similar to um, the, um, I suppose, the newspaper coming out of London, which goes all through all, all through England. So, um, yeah, so he he had an article in that uh, paper every uh, every week about the try of the week. And um, so he, he described that I, I got the ball and I zipped here and I zipped there and, and got past this person, passed it on to Brett Kenny, who passed it to Eric, Eric scored. So he described that and that's how he, he described it in the in the newspaper. So when I went to training, um, the boys started calling me Zip and um, it stuck. <laughs> so, yeah, as, as, as a journalist, you know, uh, the late Peter Flingos, he was a nice, he was a really nice fella. And it's, it's the, I guess it's the crux of a good nickname because people still call you Zip and Zip Zip to this day. Oh, my wife calls me Zip. My kids call me Zip. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a normal progression for me now. So I'm just, I'm just so used to it. It's normal. Superb stuff. I love that. Um, and then you came back home, 1983 season. Another success, Steve. You know, a grand final again, and you're beating your, your, your local rivals, your, your biggest rivals, Manly, 18-6. Does it, does it get any better than that? Three in a row. Oh, oh look, we, we, I suppose, come back. Um, and I think we're probably tired. Um, and I know Brett was told he had to take a couple of weeks off because he wasn't playing very well. And we, we sort of struggled through the start of the season, but we, we sort of gained momentum towards the back end of the season. And, um, yeah, we just got better as, as, as the season went on. And, um, yeah, once again, we played Manly in, in the semi-final. They beat us again in the semi-final. And, and once again, we play them in the grand final and, and we're able to overcome um, them in the grand final. And it's just having three in a row, the last team to do that is just, yeah, something special. And um, Penrith, Penrith have got an opportunity this year to do it. So um, good luck to them. And, yeah, it's just one of, those, one of those other special moments you have in your life that you don't realise how important they are. Um, 40 years down the track, you don't realise it's since um, that grand final, it's the last three peaks. So, um, yeah, it's just, yeah, just nice to see. I was I was going to bring the modern day into it because they are talking about Penrith a lot. Do, do you do you think they can do it this year? Well, they've got a good side. They're um I don't think they're as good as, as strong as last year because they lost a couple of their key players. Yeah, but they, they've got they've got good players in their, in their team, and <coughs> so I'm I'm not um going to predict that they can't because I I, I think they they've got the team to do it. Just whether any other teams come up and, and are able to to play better on the day. And were you a keen watcher last last year when Para got to the grand final for the first time? Oh, it was very oh, wow. sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we actually we all all the old players we all went out in the grand final together. Ah, brilliant! Um, that, was, that was good. It was a lot of fun to catch up with the guys. But yeah, it wasn't the result we wanted. But you know, just the club's doing really well. They've they've been in the in the top echelon of teams for a little while now. But it's just that we can't get out, get across the line for that for that big one. So we'll hope that'll that'll come eventually. You took the next question out of my mouth, really, because like all the electricity, <laughs> we sort of building up our past players association and bringing back the old boys on regular regular games. Do you boys, do you get your Parramatta boys still get together? Um, there's two things. We have a reunion every year, uh, which all players that play at Parramatta. Um, that's that's in Parramatta old boys organise that, so that's always nice to to, to catch up with all the old followers and um, and all the guys we play with in all grades, not just the first grade. Um, and it, probably for the last 25 years, any player that's played in the grand final with us, um, we have a reunion on the Gold Coast. Mm-hmm. So for 25 years, we go up and spend every every first week in November, 
we uh, we spend uh, three days um, up on the Gold Coast together. And out of 26 players, we get an average between probably 15 to 18 players turn up every year. And it's just really nice to catch up. And, and it, it, it's just one of those things that we just continually do. But it's funny how when you catch up for long periods of time, the, the conversations change. <laughs> but now the, the, conversation, the conversations are changing. Uh, like the last one we had, we, what funeral did you go to and what, what illnesses have you got now? What doctor are you seeing now? So the, the conversations are changing from, or, I suppose, sport and, and, and uh, all the stuff you used to do to, to ailments and, and, and family stuff. So it's really cool. That Panama side you played in, that back line mm-hmm. you played in is quite well-known and world-class. You know, you've got Sturlow, Brett Kenny, yourself, Mick Cronin, Neil Hunt, Eric Groth, Paul Taylor at the back. But you've got some real unsung heroes in the forwards. We all know Ray Price. But you've got some other forwards in there who never really got much sort of... Um, um, they were never in the limelight much, but they certainly got you over the line when they got to grand finals. Well, one of the things that we, we've always said and was that our backline got a lot of recognition, but we wouldn't have been able to do what we did unless our forward pack done their job. And that's like any good team. So we had a lot of players, um, people like Peter Wynn, Steve Sharp, uh, Mark Laurie, um, Michael Mosley, it was our hooker, um, Terry Lieberta, Jeff Bugden, uh, Stan Jurd, uh, Chrissy Phelan. Um, without those players doing what they did for us, uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we did. And uh, one of the things that we're very conscious of is acknowledging the hard work they put in. And they're always criticised, always saying they're too small. They'd always be told that they're never going to match the Manly pack or the Bulldogs pack, but they did. And that's one of the things that we we appreciated um, as a, I suppose, as a, as a, a good backline was our forwards held their own. And whenever they held their own um, and put us on the, on the, on the, I suppose, on the front foot, that actually made it a lot easier for us. And yeah, our, um, our appreciation to our forwards is immense. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Going back to uh, you on the field, you actually played for Australia before New South Wales State of Origin. Tell us about your, 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 your origin experience for New South Wales, especially your second game when six, six of the seven backs were all from Parramatta in 83. Yeah, well, the second that game was in, actually in Sydney, and um, Queensland beat us in the first game, and um, yeah, it was just one of those times which you don't realise is going to happen. So they picked uh, the whole. They should have actually picked the whole back line because Paul Taylor was probably the best out of all of us at the <laughs> time, and never got a start. They picked the the Roosters fullback a fellow called Marty Gurr, who was also a really good player, um, but um, people underestimated how good Paul Taylor was, and. We never underestimated that. We knew how valuable he was to us. He'd have been great in State of Origin, but we having having our, our backline on the field in that that game made it a lot easier for us because we all knew each other's game. And we ended up winning that game eight four, I think. And mm-hmm. um, it was just one of those one of those times when you just you, you know that they've picked the right team, and um, we got the results, so they actually proved it. But they didn't do it. They didn't pick the same team after that. You mentioned Paul Taylor there. Um, he, he came to Wakefield as well the year after you. Um, he only lasted 24 minutes. He did his media ligament against Leeds. And he was a, he came over to play for Oldham as well. But he was a star player. And he was he was quite excited. We were quite excited when he came. But it was just bad luck that he did his knee in the first 20 minutes. Well, he's, he's one of those players that his uh, 
probably 11 stone, probably 75 kilo, 80 at the most, um, ring and wet. And um, he he's as tough, one of the toughest players I've ever played with. He could, he'd make 50, 60, 70 tackles in a game. Mm-hmm. Um, what we always found was that Sterling got a lot of a lot of recognition for what he did in the games. Yeah. What they didn't realise, Paul Taylor done half that work and Sterling got the credit. Yeah. Because they both had long blonde hair, so they couldn't tell them apart. So yeah, Sterling got credited for a lot of tackles that Paul Taylor actually did. So <laughs> but he we 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 weren't the one without him. He was just one of those players that we know um we needed in our team. And Jack Jack Gibson was was a was a coach. He knew Paul Taylor needed to be in the team no matter what position. So he played him second row a couple of games at 75 kilo. <laughs> and still done set like 50, 40, 50 tackles. Okay. Um, just another, you, you played just before you sort of left Parramatta days, you had three games for the um, for the um, Kangaroos again. You, you went on tour in 85 to New Zealand. They, they were special test matches <laughs> in, in, in 85. Yeah, they were tough matches because um, New Zealand... Uh, beat us in the last test. Uh, we beat, we won the first test. We we the second test in in Auckland. We only won that um, by scoring a try uh, on the bell just just um, before the before the final final siren. So we only just scraped over the line in that in that test match. And then we played um, at Carlow Park again. Um, then the New Zealand beat us eighteen nil. But um, it's just one of those one of those times when. It was just tough. They were they really come out hard. I mean, that's when they had uh, they had a really good test side. Ewan McGowan, Mark Graham, Brent Todd. They were playing in, in those teams, and um, to some of their players, also Filipina was just dynamic. He outplayed Wally in all three test matches, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, Wally couldn't even get close to him in those games. And Olsen was just one of those special players when he was on. You, you couldn't stop him. Just, just talk about state of origin again, there, Steve. You, you, everyone sees what the phenomenon it is now. It's kind of the the picture, the the poster of, of rugby league every single year. But what what was it like in them early couple of years to be a part of it? Um, I, I suppose Queensland took state of origin probably a lot more seriously than what we did. Um, we we're always seen as the big brother in regards to states, um, and they probably took it a lot seri- more seriously than what we did. Um, it took us a fair while to get a, get our head around it. Um, so they they beat us a fair bit in the first few years, and when in '85 we actually won the series from them. '86 we won the series three 0 So we actually it took us a little while to get our heads into the state of origin, but once we did, it actually yeah made it a lot more even contest. And I think the special part about state of origin is actually made the good players stand up. Um, and that's where people really seen the best best out of Wally. And people don't realise how good a Wally... I know Wally played at Wakefield. And I don't think people realise how good a player Wally was. Um, he's... I, I played with I played with Wally, I played against Wally, and I've watched him do things um, And in certain situations when special things are, are called for, he always put his hand up. Um, when the hard yards were needed to be made, Wally always put his hand up. And they're, they're the things people don't see. And, and I, it just amazed me how calm he was uh, under pressure. And he was just one of those players that uh, held Queensland together for a long time. And, and just looking at your credentials in in, in retrospect, Steve, by, by the time you were 26, you'd played, you'd won four grand finals, 
You'd been on two tours. You'd played State of Origin. You'd played all these years at the top club like Parramatta. Did, did anything seem to phase you athletically? On you know, were you ever phased? Were you ever stressed when, when you when you took the field? Uh, no, um, probably. Yeah, I because I enjoy playing. I didn't, it didn't stress me at all. Um, I mean, yeah, you get nervous. Nerves are good though. And I always found that if I wasn't nervous, I'd, I'd probably be in trouble um, playing. But I always found if I was nervous, that was good. Because it actually you're actually on the game, um, and nothing, no, never worried me, never faced me. Um, probably um, playing for playing test matches. Probably you 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 got a lot of people with high expectations, and there's a lot, there's a lot more pressure. But you just yeah, you just do what you do, and I've always never, never worried too much about um, getting stressed by by um by games because you go into a game with a game plan, um, you train, you do the hard work, um, the rest should cover itself. And you know, I I went not to skate too much, Steve, but I was born in nineteen ninety two, so I missed the entire eighties really in terms of playing. But speaking to people like my dad and, and family and friends and whatnot, it seems like eighties was really the, the golden period of, of rugby league, especially in Australia with you know, they still talk about the start of origin with the kangaroo tours, with names like Wally Lewis, Peter Sterling, yourself, etc. What was it about that era that that really stood out? Oh, it's a good question. I, I think what stood out for me was the way we played. Um, I, I think a lot of games, in, especially in Australia, uh, defence started to become paramount. So. Before that, attacking football was just the way it was, and the defence was was probably not as important. Whereas Jack Gibson, Warren Ryan, and a few other coaches started to put a lot of lot of emphasis on defence. And what we found out: the better your defence was, the better your attack was. Um, so we we spent a lot of time working on our defence. Um, we didn't actually spend that much time on our attack. Most of our work was spent on defence. Um, because we had, if we we had a good defensive team and, and a good defensive game, the attack just flowed um, from that, and that's one thing I, I think come in the eighties. Um, yeah, there was a lot of I, I suppose good players in the eighties as well, which sort of uh, allowed uh, the game to prosper as well. I mean, the, the players on the eighty two kangaroo tour and the players on the eighty six kangaroo tour was just special, and. Um, what was good about those plays was they were all just normal blokes, um, but they worked hard. All of them, all of them worked hard at what they did, um, and they all worked hard on their defence. And that's one of the, I suppose, the big differences between us at the time and the and the English teams was a lot of English teams concentrated on their attack, which was always really good, but their defence was was lacklustre in a lot of sense. And but we concentrated on our defence a lot more than our attack. Do you think there's anything the modern game can take from how the game was in the eighties? Well, I, I watch the modern game now, and I, I I actually get bored watching it because I think it's it's very structured, mm. and I, I understand why that is, and I understand how how it's come about. But it's just you know what every team's going to do. Um, it's just how they execute. It. Um, I sit there with my son and watch watch the watch games all the time, and we know we know exactly what's going to happen. Um, and it's very, I find a lot of times it's robotic. But in saying that, a lot of the skill level now is just phenomenal in, in a lot of these players. 
and they've grown up um, uh, doing skills training as kids. We didn't we didn't have that opportunity as kids. We just played footy. We didn't do skills training because it wasn't one of the things that we knew about. But all these kids these days have grown up not only with the skills training, but the but how to look after your body, how to get stronger, what do you need to do to actually get faster. All those really interesting, um, I suppose, processes that all players go through these days just makes them better players. And there's some wonderful talents. But it's I, I find the game's very robotic. And some of the rules, rule changes they've made, I find it's been very detrimental. Mm. And it's funny because you mentioned that the structure and, and the players that stand out these days are players like Cameron Munster or Nico Hines who don't who play without structure. But I imagine in the 80s, every every team had a Cameron Munster or Nico Hines. Well, one of the good things that we always had was is we had structure, but no one knew what our structure was, but we did. Yeah. We had, it was very simple for us. If if you didn't know what you were doing, run to the centre of the field. And then we'll, then we'll just set up, we'll have players like Sterling and myself and we'd set up either side and have, and and call the ball if we if we see we want it, but we played what we see. Where these days they they're very it's, it's very structured and and some games are really good. And some games I just watch them and just say this this boring is bad shit. So yeah, uh, very yeah. I I struggle a lot of a lot of times watching um, some games, but some games uh, that I do watch are just uh, outstanding because um, of the, the talents of these days. And then just rounding off your Parramatta career, mate, a fourth winner's medal in 1986 against the, the Bulldogs. A fantastic, another fantastic rivalry for the Parramatta team in the 80s. Yeah, that one was that one was probably the most rewarding because uh, we've had a lot of um, battles against the Bulldogs and they were a tough side. They, they bashed us from pillar to the post. They, they really defensively like hurt us all the time. But what was also special about that game was in 85, sorry, 84 grand final, they beat us 6-4. I snapped my medial ligament six minutes into the game. So I I only played six minutes, snapped my medial, I walked off, um, had surgery on on the next day. Um, We played Bulldogs in 85 in the final. Um, It was just before I came over and played at Wigan and um, Peter Kelly needed me in the back. And um, I thought I broke my back. So it took me a couple of weeks to get over that. Um, So, the Bulldogs, yeah, always went in to hurt us. And they were just a, a, a tough side, but geez, they were very skillful. So going into the 86, um, we'd had uh, a couple of wins against them through the year, but they were always tough. Going into the grand final, they they they, they, were, there to, they were there to play. They were there to, to hurt us. Um, first trialist grand final, um, very brutal game. Um uh, Bulldogs on our line for the last five or six minutes of the game and, and um, in our 22 area and, and us holding them out um, with desperate defence. Yeah, you, you couldn't you couldn't write a book about it. It was just one of those special moments. But getting getting revenge from them from 84 where they beat us 6-4 and then beating them 4-2 was just a yeah, very nice moment. Did you know Ray Price and Mick Cronin were going to retire after that? Did they, did they tell you or was it the decision after the game? Oh no, they, they never spoke about it. But we knew, we sort of knew they were going to retire because they're they were all bastards by then. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we knew they were, we had no idea they were going to retire. That, that wasn't a surprise. Um, the crow had come back from an eye injury, so he he couldn't play on anyway. So he 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 was lucky to see out of out of his left eye. So um, he, he was going to retire. And 
we had an idea Pricey was was going to retire as well, so it wasn't a surprise to us. Um, yeah, so but it was nice to go out uh, and um, on a winning formula for them. Amazingly, Ray Price, he was an old an, an old bugger then in '86. Three years later, he came to Wakefield. Did you have any yeah, input? Well, did you have any input in that? Did you tell him anything? Well, well he rang me actually and asked me about Wakefield. I, I thought I told him, and um, how not how good a place it was, and and that was, if he goes over, he'll really enjoy it. So um, yeah, so we had a conversation, and whether that influenced me or not, I don't know, but. Um, yeah, I know he went over there with Brian Jackson. That's right. Yeah, a couple more Parramatta players. Uh, before we yeah. leave Australia, mate, and, and sort of come to Wakefield, I've got to ask you about your uh, Wigan experience. Uh, very short, very rewarding. 24 games, 21 tries, won the Lancashire Cup, won the John Player. How did that come about? How, how did the sort of signing, who sort of tapped you up for that? Um, in 85 in, in New Zealand, I was we were playing in the, in the last test match over there and... Um, I got a. I, there was a uh, a front row player for us, Greg Dowling, and Greg mm-hmm. said to me, "I'm I'm going over to play for Wigan at the end of the year." I know, oh, no worries. Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. Anyway, I come back to Sydney and probably going into the into the semi-finals um, in '85. Um, there was a, a guy called John White who he was like a he was, was a good friend, but he was he was like a player manager for us, a manager for us. And um, he was probably one of the first managers, but he, knew, he wouldn't accept any money offers because he was he was one of our good mates. So um, he 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 rang me and and said, "Do you feel like going over playing in the UK?" I went, "I haven't given those any second thoughts, John," because John organised for Brett to go to Wigan the year before. Mm-hmm. And John also organised for Sterlow and John Muglin to go to Hull. Mm-hmm. So he had the, he had the contacts and he had he had a really good contact with Morris Lindsay. So. Um, I said, "Why? Why did you ask that?" He said, "I oh, said because he spoke to Morris Lindsay and he wants to know if I was available." I went, oh, well, I hadn't heard of Morris by then. It's the first time I'd heard of Morris, so um, I said, "Oh, I haven't, I haven't given it a second thought." So anyway, I went home and spoke to my wife, and and um, I said, "If you had, we had an opportunity to go to the UK, would you go?" She goes, and she yeah, jump at it." I went, "Okay." So I rang John back and said, "Yeah, I'd be interested in um, in what they got to say." So John just rang Morris. Morris come back. John rang me back. Okay, you leave in you leave a week after the semi final, or a week after your last game, which end up being the semi final. You enjoy it, mate? Because you had to say you had a bit a little bit of success over there. Yeah, look, it was it was because I played in the in the eighty two tour. I had a bit of an idea, and mm-hmm. um, uh, like Wakefield, it's just, I really enjoyed it because it was just totally totally different type of atmosphere than Australia, and it's more emphasis on attack. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan McGinnis and Colin, um, uh, oh, uh, were the coaches, uh, Colin, Colin Clark, Colin Clark, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Colin and Alan McGinnis were the coaches, and yeah, they're lovely fellas. And, um, they let me do what let me run my own race in regards to playing. And they end up buying Ellery, Ellery come over as well, and um, Joe Lydon come over a bit later. Um, so I got to know some of the really good English players and become good friends with them and and I suppose it was the lifestyle which I really liked I mean the football was great really, really enjoyed the football but the lifestyle was just really, what I really enjoyed and that's one of the reasons I, I actually wanted to go to Wakefield because um, living in Lancashire um, I wanted an opportunity to live in Yorkshire <laughs> and yeah. uh, experience two different two different cultures and um, it was just one of those 
experiences that, yeah, it was just very special. Do you remember playing Wakefield? I, I know you're looking at your Wigan stats. You, you play your first 12 games, you got 17 tries. You, you, you were on a right roll. Wakefield yep. was in the second division at the time and we drew Wigan in the cup. Do you remember coming over yep. and playing Bellevue? Yep, because I marked Graham Gerrard. <laughs> he was in the centres, and yeah, actually, Wakefield gave us gave Wigan a, a um a tough game that in that game, and and um yeah, Graham was really proud because I had scored, and probably about three minutes to go, I chipped over his head, picked it up, and scored under the post, and and um he, he got real cranky at me. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, we I know we I know we beat Wakefield that day, but Wakefield were terrific that day. Actually, they were probably one of the toughest that we played. It was, yeah, because obviously we were in the second division. You were flying high at the top of the first division, and the score was twenty-one to thirty. So we really yeah. sort of give it to you that day as well. well. We only only got away in the last, the last last few minutes of the game, but it was a tight game the whole way through. Mm. And um, yeah, it was just one of those one of those games that I that I always remember being uh, being yeah, tough. And uh, no matter what we did, no matter how hard we tried, yeah, we couldn't shake them. But yeah, just got away in the last couple of minutes of the game. 7,000 turned up as well. 7,000, we'd love 7,000 now, but 7,000 yeah. <laughs> when we were in the second division were phenomenal. So that, that were happy days. Um, fast forward, mate, three years, um, you came to Wakefield. Why why Wakefield in 88? What happened to sort of bring you here and who approached you? Um, uh, Stuart. Stuart Farrah? Stuart Farrah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I forgot, I can't second name, but Stuart Farrah uh, called. Um, he actually called John White. Again, oh, yeah. John Rang John Rang mm-hmm. said, um, "Did you want to go back to England to play again?" I went, "I would love to." And um, then he actually he said, "You got you got a there was had a couple of offers," and um, and he he sort of gave me the, the rundown of all the clubs and he said, "Who did who did you, you pick?" And actually, I knew Topo was the coach, and um, I decided I want to go to Wakefield because there's two things that's it was in Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. So it was different to Lancashire, and um, Topo was the coach. Oh, brilliant! Did you did you know Topo? Had you come across him in the past? No, I had, uh, well, I played against him. Yeah, but I actually hadn't met him. But I had, I'd heard a lot about Topo, and I knew how good a play was, how good a five eight he was. Mm-hmm. And um, I always had had this thing: if if I'm going to learn how to, how to play five eight better than what I what I am, I need I need to learn from a good five eight. So, yeah, it was because um because Topo was a five eight, I um decided to. And I heard a lot about him anyway, so decided to come to Wakefield. Wonderful stuff. Dare I ask what the other offers were? Which were the clubs? Um, I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, actually, I can't remember who they were now. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, not a problem. No. Uh, your sure. debut, mate. Do you remember your debut? Uh, we played Warrington at home in August 1998. Play- yes, and they were they were a tough side, and because uh, they had they had um. Uh, Phil Black played for him, and they had Les Boyd play for him, and they had um, Brian Johnson from St George play for him. And um, yeah, they were they were they were tough. But um, I suppose what was good about the time it was it was an opportunity for me to get to know the players I was playing with. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what what I really liked was the players that, that I played with at Wakefield. Yeah, never never took a backward step, and that's I really like I really like playing with them. And, mm-hmm. um, that that game against even though it was my first game, you get a, you get a you get a sense. Um, who you're playing with, yeah, and um, I come off that game thinking you know, I, I like the players I'm playing with, so it was, it was good. 
We, we, we signed Mike Graham as well, the, the big uh, Kiwi captain, um, we, who, who was very good. But the other players around you, we're, we're big fans of players like Mark Conway, Andy Kelly, Andy Mason, Phil Fox on the wing, and the, the, the old the Nigel Bell at uh, Lewis Football. <coughs> remember those guys? Oh, certainly, yeah. I remember, I remember, remember um, Phil Eden in the centre. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, look, playing, playing with Mark Conway at, um, at halfback was a good opportunity for... I suppose for us to learn how we, how we both play, and I think we actually suited each other. I think Mark was was very very good at what he did. He had a good kick game. He could read a game really well, but he but he also gave an early ball, which actually made it a lot easier for me. And and um, yeah, it was playing with Mark was really really not really good with Andy Mason outside as well. Mm. He was fast. Um, and what was good about Andy was that you give him the ball and you just got to follow him, and you know you're going to get a little ball back. So. Um, yeah, and look, just some of those players, Keith, Keith Rain in the, in the front row, yeah. him and Andy Kelly, they, they really set up a good, good, um, uh, a good structure in the forwards. And they worked hard, and uh, with Nigel at the back, and yeah, they were just just wonderful players to play with, but just like really good men as well. Exactly. Yeah, that was a, a big a big day. We saw, we we enjoyed that day because we we just come we just got promoted as well. So we'd had a few years in the second division with no disrespect, but playing Batley, playing Jewsbury, playing Keithley. Suddenly we played Warrington and beat them fourteen ten. The week after yeah. Wigan came and Wigan were the team yeah. in the eighties, a bit like Parramatta over your way. Yeah, and we yeah. beat them in week two. Do you remember that? I remember remember beating Wigan because um, I remember scoring scored a try, kicked a couple of goals, a field goal, I think. So. Um, yeah, it was it was just nice playing against um, a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of mates in that team, and, and beating them. It's always good when you beat your mates. Yeah, but that was like I said from the, the game against um, Warrington was what I learned about in, even in that one game, and, and probably reinforced it in that game against Wigan was the guys I played with didn't take a backward step, mm-hmm. and um, they were they were they were there to, to um, do their best, and yeah, if they did their best, we could win the games, and yeah, they were. I mean, people like Paul, Paul, Mal, Paul Mallon. Paul Mallon, there, yeah. Paul Mallon in the front row because, um, I mean, Paul wasn't uh, that uh, very skillful, but Dizzy worked hard, and that's what you want from players to, um, to, I suppose, help you win games. You want players who, who are prepared to work hard, and and like Shelley in the in the, the back row, like they just worked, they worked their backsides off, and they were just really, really good to play with. Billy. Really, Conway Hooker, you're just really skillful at Hooker, but they all worked hard. That's that's all you can ask. And when they work hard, we won games. Mm. Exactly. It was similar to what you were talking about with the Parramatta team. We really had some workhorses in that pack. You mentioned Paul yeah. Malley, Ben Malley, Ian Sheldon, um, and John Glancy. Do you remember Glance, the big prop? Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember John. He was um he was one of the players that you, you just need to give him the ball and then he'll, he'll, he'll hit it up for you all day. And it's, they're the type of players that you really love playing with. Mm. And he came in under the radar, really. We signed him from Sheffield Eagles at the, t- the same time as yourself, same time as Mark Graham. Um, nobody really heard of him, but by golly, he did, he did some work for us in that season. Well, I think one of the, one of the things that people don't realise is that the work they do goes unseen, mm-hmm. but they're not they're, they're noticed by people like myself and, and um, you know, the people outside us because if they don't do their, their work, it's hard for us to do our job. Mm. But they 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 done their job really well. That that first month still stands out to us as Trinity fans. Uh, I can't sort of um, bypass week four when we played Hull away. Supporters still talk about your try that day. Do you remember the try at Boulevard at Hull? 
Uh, yeah, actually, those two, those those two times, there was that try was one. The other time was when um, Andy Mason scored, and um, yeah, there was a, we put a, a, I think I tipped over the top, put a, uh, got one kicked the through again, Andy, and Andy picked the ball up in front of the post and scored, and then when uh, Craig Coleman was playing for Hull. Uh, it was about 60 metres out, I think it was. And, um, yeah. yeah, he chipped over the top and I caught it. And, and um, yeah. yeah, just, I think I was just running because I was scared of getting tackled. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was one of those runs that you just, you, know, you just, I always remember. Because one of the things that I learned years ago, when you're, when you're running towards the fullback, the fullback turns his back on you, you can actually turn him inside out. Yeah. But you need to be able to turn him inside out. It's hard to do. But if, if you turn him inside out, there's no chance of getting it. So, as I was running towards the fullback, he actually turned the turned the, the chase. So I've gone the opposite side, so we turned around. So I've come back, and yeah, it's just it's just one of those things that that um allowed us to to get across the line. And I do remember that try. So it's funny. I sent a, I sent a photo over to um Steve Cram um of that try um not long ago and signed it for him. So um yeah, it was just yeah really nice. <laughs> Superb stuff. Steve, you, you've spoken about the players, the team, the coach at Wakefield at that time, but what do you remember about the physio and, and the medical staff? <laughs> well, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> Look, I, one of the things that, about Wakefield, it wasn't just about the players. Um, the whole the whole group was a really tight group. And one of the one of the things that I always always remember was how how everyone was everyone was friends of each other. And I, I think that's that's what makes a, a, a club special. Whether you're a physio, whether you're a trainer, or whether you're your kit man, or everyone, everyone respected each other's role, and everyone knew each other and supported each other, and that's one of the things I really liked about about Wakefield and, and how how no matter where you come from, what your background was, um, everyone respected each other. And um, I know a couple of times um, I, I probably shouldn't have played, but I got put, I got on the field because of the work that you guys done. So that was yeah, it was. I've got a, I've got a book in here because at the time I was only a young twenty three year old rookie physio, um, and back I've, I've often talked back in the day when in nineteen eighty nine when I went to Australia to study physio and betting myself as a, a rugby league physio, and it was down to yourself. And the the quick story was the first game of the season against Warrington, you asked me to strap your ankles, and because you've got dodgy ankles, you had a special way of doing it. And I started doing it and you said, no, 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 I don't like it that way. Can you do it this way? And I didn't know what you meant. You showed me, but then you said, you need to get down to Sydney and learn. And I did. And I, I jumped on a plane and spent the following summer in um, in Australia studying physio. And I met you when you were there and that was all down to you. I'm sure you don't remember, but uh, I never forgot that day. Well, the, the thing about how I used to strap, strap my ankles, I used to lock, the way I used to strap my ankles, I used to lock my ankles in. That was and, it, um, yeah. And that's one of the one of the one of the uh, lessons that I, I teach my boys when they strap their ankles is about when you're strapping and you put strapping on it. That's one thing, but but if you lock if you strap it a certain way, it actually locks your ankles. It actually, actually reduces if you're going to get, have an ankle injury, it's going to reduce the amount of damage. Um, and I, the more I strap my ankle, the, the less I had injuries in, in regards to uh, ankle injuries. So, mm. so yeah, I remember actually. Remember actually. <laughs> Um, t- uh, showing you how to do it because it was just <laughs> that's right. Because I mean, you tried a couple of times, it's like, okay, I'm not to show you, <laughs> <laughs> Steve. Do you think it's a missed opportunity these days with with the NRL and Suplee playing at the same time that players such as yourself, Sterlo, Brett Kenny, can't come over when when they're not playing and vice versa? Cause I remember Martin Afire, Joe Lydon, Phil, um, 
Gary Schofield went over as well and played. Yeah, I think it is, is a missed opportunity. I mean, the way that the, I suppose the, the clubs these days wouldn't allow players to go across to do an do extra footy these days, and I think there's a um, there'll be there'll be part of the contract because they're so big these days. But I, I think it is a missed opportunity for just for for you guys in the Super League in the UK to have a lot of the the good players from from the NRL you know, come over and play because what we found over the years, the more Australian players come over and, and help your game. It actually helped a lot of your players understand uh, more about how we play um, and what they can do to improve their own games. And I think that's one of the one of the things that is a shame that doesn't happen these days. Definitely as well. And obviously, it's a, it's been a thing since probably since Adrian Morley came over that a lot of our best English players will come over and, and improve our international game. But Super League itself is, has been dwindling the past twenty years. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I haven't seen. Much about the Super League, but I I, I did, did follow Sean. Come with mates with Sean Wayne, so I did follow Sean's team for a bit. But I, I suppose I, I always look at if you in the in the UK, there's a lot of good players. You got a lot of good players over there. But if you bring the really good Australian players over to play alongside them, they actually get better. Mm. And I think that's one thing that that's been missing. I know you need to grow your own, and and, and I agree with that. But if you had Jonathan Thurston go over there and play. Imagine how how the team around him would have learned. So I know I know when Greg when Greg English went over there and played, like he, Greg was past his best, but it would have made the players around him a lot better, a lot more yeah. confident. So having really our, our our best players come over and play over there actually allows you to learn a, a little bit a little bit about how to play a bit better. Do you still keep an eye out for any Wakefield results? Uh, well, I'm Steve. I'm on on um, Messenger with Steve Cram. Um, so Steve keeps me updated what's going on. So I'm, I'm here on a, on a weekly basis. So yeah, so I'm hearing what's going on over there at the moment. So it's yeah, it's it's interesting to see. Um, it's changed, uh, but it's just nice nice to see how how the club's going. Good stuff, but back back to 1988 for that season. We we were top of the league after four weeks playing. We were really going well. We've beaten Wigan. We've beaten Warrington. We've beaten Hull. And then the wheels fell off. We lost the next ten. You remember, <coughs> you remember sort of what happened? Well, yeah, I, I mean, I I put it down to um, we actually bought Mark Graham and um, Brent Todd over to play mm-hmm. with us. Um, and one of the things I really liked about Wakefield and, and the players I played with is that, yeah, we we, we defended our backsides off, but we we in attack we just we played footy, we, we played what we seen. Um, any opportunity we'd have a crack at it. Um, if nothing's working, kick for field position, go down, tackle, get the ball back, have another crack at it. What happened was Mark Graham uh, got in the top of his ear about changing how we played. He said we need to start running corridors and doing this and that. And, and um, it started, I suppose, confusing our, um, our forward pack on, on their role. Mm-hmm. Because I couldn't understand what he was talking about. I mean, yeah. I played NRL and played Australia, and, and um, I was fairly intelligent in regards to footy. I had, I had no idea what, what he was talking about in regard to structure. But the structure he was talking about was what they did at North Sydney, and that's how they played at North Sydney, and it wasn't very successful. <laughs> um, and look, I, I'm, the structure was probably good. We probably didn't have the team to, to play that structure though. Um, but I, I think we, when we started changing the way we played. Um, we started to follow that structure of 
certain corridors, you're not allowed to, this floor is not allowed to be on that part of the field. They've got to stay in this part of the field. And, and I was just confused how it was working. Um, and I'm sure our forwards would have been confused as well. And so from then on, we started losing from then on. We, we couldn't, we couldn't get a, couldn't get a win up. And, um, so unfortunately, um, uh, Brent and, um, uh, Mark left, um, after one game, after one of the games and, and, um, yeah, left us. Mm-hmm. And I remember a topo, um, coming to me and he says, um, Mark Graham and, and Brent Todd's, uh, left us to, to, um, and they've, Gone to the airport and gone back to New Zealand. I went, oh, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> he said, he said, he said, I want you to be captain. I went, well, I don't feel like I should be captain. That should be a local player. Um, I'll only be captain if if, if all the players agree to it. Um, so I didn't think it was it was my place to say I should be captain. So I didn't. Um, so my understanding, Tobo spoke to the players and they all agreed. So um, so I t- I took that role on. And Topo asked me, he actually asked, what should we do in regards to playing? I said, we should go back to how we played when I first started here. Go back to playing just normal footy. We, 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 we kick for field position, we tackle hard, work hard and just play what we see. Because you've got, you've got players who can run the football, let's run the football. Um, and it's funny, our, our first game after, after Mark Graham and Brett Todd left, we won. Because mm. we actually went back just playing footy. And playing playing the footy that all the guys um, from Wakefield knew how to play, um, and we just complimented them um, by just I suppose looking for good field position with our kicks and just just having good defence and and um, yeah just minim- minimising our mistakes and just playing footy play what we see. Exactly, mate. Because the week before that, that was when we played with Hull Kingston Rovers had done the double overs, and Hull Kingston Rovers were bottom of the league. And the week before, we lost 6-12 at home to Old Kingston. And it was windy, yep. it was raining. Mark yep. was there, Brent was there. And that's when they went home. The week later yep. was Christmas, Featherston Rovers. That's the game you're talking yep. about. When you yep. were captain, there were, we had 13 players from the Wakefield District, along with yourself and James Lulwai. So together with those two overseas and our local boys, we turned it round against Featherston. And we beat them twice in two weeks. Twice in two weeks, that's right. Because one of the things that comes to mind the whole time was everyone kept worrying about Graham Stedman. Yeah. And everyone said, oh, Graham Stedman's this, Graham Stedman's that, Graham Stedman's this, Graham Stedman's that. And I said, well, who's Graham Stedman? <laughs> and, and that's, because I actually didn't know who he was. And um, everyone kept saying, like, he, he, he's going to this tour, that tour. And I, I just said, stop. I said, I'll take care of Graham Stedman. You yeah. worry about your job. And, um, yeah, I, every time I got the ball, I, I, I got hold of him. And um, yeah, I remember scoring one or two tries, and and um, we set up a couple more. And yeah, it was just really good, nice to see us back on the win- on the on the winning uh, uh, circuit again. And yeah, it was just I suppose having that confidence just to play open footy like like they were used to, um, and allowed them to to enjoy the game a lot more. Because I know playing trying to play to the structure that Mark and and what brought, which was a structure North Sydney played. I mean, I, I struggled with that. And it was just I'm, I'm not sure how how our forwards were coping because I wasn't coping with it, and, but that's that's what Topo wanted to do in regards to um, changing how we played because he thought that was better because Mark explained to him that was better, and in some sense it's probably the really good way to play if you got the players to do that. But the players we had at Wakefield, they were used to playing proper footy, not just not structured footy, mm. and we're better we're better at at, at open footy. I remember you saying that. Yeah, if, if you were confused and you didn't follow it, I thought, by golly, we are in a mess. 
But that we still go back to that Featherson game. We still talk about it over here now. It's basically 30 odd years ago. And all our old boys, you know, Johnny Thompson came out of the, the reserves yeah. to replace Mark Graham. Paul Malander yeah. came into the side. Yeah. Ian Shelford, yeah. Sheldon came back. You Gary yeah. Prattis, your Andy Kellys. We can go on and on. And yeah. that local community really sort of got us over the line over the new year. Well, what was what, what I found was really good about that, not only were they locals, um, but they didn't have to worry about stuff they didn't understand. Mm. And like, uh, we, like Topo said to me, he said, how are we going to play I said, we'll just go back to playing footy, Topo. I said, why don't we don't just go back to playing how we played? I said, and that's the bottom line for me was keep it simple. If we keep it simple, we'll, um, we'll, we'll win the game. Because all we need to do is, like, like I said earlier, kick to the corners, have a good kicking game, good kick and chase, um, defend hard, the tackle take care of itself. And that's what we did. And we had players like Mally and, and um, Johnny Thompson who just stood up and were just fabulous in those games. Because they they were weren't confused about how to play, they they just knew their job, and that's one of the good the good things that I really liked about the players that I played with is, like I said before, when when they when they understood and and played hard and worked hard, then we won games. Those games where we got beat for those eight nine ten games in a row, yeah, I was confused about our structure. If I didn't know, about it, I'm not sure the other guys would have sort of known about it. And I know Mark Conway was was struggling as well because every time he tried to to uh, run the plays, he was overridden by um, Mark Graham. It's like, well, who's, who's running the, who's running this team? Is it? And that's where uh, I suppose when they left, allowing Mark Conway to play his natural game, allowed us to play our natural game, and it actually made it a, a lot a lot better. And because like like I said, Mark is a terrific halfback. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they took a, a lot of his skill away from him in those in those games where we got beat, uh, in that structure that Mark Rain wanted to play. But I think when we went back to just playing footy, he, that allowed him to actually play what he sees, and that's what he done best. Exactly, mate. Yeah, uh, the, the wheels fell off again in the new year. Uh, I remember as 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 the physio um, at St Helens, we carried I carried you off with the you dislocated your shoulder. Uh, a month later at Salford, you did the same. Another month later at Warrington, you did the same. This shoulder of yours, did you had you had shoulder trouble before you came, or was it a, a new thing that hampered you? Um, I, I had I had shoulder shoulder surgery a couple of years earlier, mm-hmm. um, but it was never a problem. And um, yeah, then all of a sudden it started dislocating. So those games were dislocated against Salford. I think I dislocated it twice. Um, come out twice during the game, and the other games come out once. But that game against Warrington at Warrington. It come out twice, mm. and the second time it come out, wouldn't go back in. Yeah, and I've I, and I've had to I've had to force it back in, and I just knew then I, I'm in trouble, mm. and um, I, I wouldn't be able to finish any, any games. Any other game I was going to play after that I was going to have my shoulder come out again, and it wasn't going to be any good to anybody. So that's that's when I walked walked off the field and actually hung my boots up. Mm. Again, similar question to what I asked you before in regards to the injury, but retiring. <laughs> From all you've known to do from a young age at 29, how emotionally did you deal with that? Um, I suppose there's two things which come to mind in regards to retirement. One, it was a relief because my shoulder kept dislocating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd come back to Australia and had, had surgery on it. Um, so having, I was just worried about coming out and not going back in and causing me major major trauma. Um so that's one thing. But the other thing was I was really glad I finished in the UK. Mm-hmm. 
because it was just one of those areas, one of those times when I just cherish as my favourite times. I mean, I, I know I played in grand finals in Sydney and done a lot, but my favourite time of playing footy is is when I played footy in the UK. Wigan, I really enjoyed Wigan. Wakefield was just something special for me, and the time I had with my family gave my. I suppose to put it in context, it's not. It wasn't about the footy. The footy was 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 a catalyst for me to be able to take my family and, and give them a, a show them a different way of life, give them the opportunity to learn more about another country, um, and experience another country. And um, I suppose my, my daughters went to school in Wakefield, and it was just really mm-hmm. nice for them to be able to to experience that. And they still talk about it today, and it's funny, my my my. My older kids, Rachel, Kristen, and Brian went back to the UK um, a few years ago, and they sent me a photo from um, is it Rosefold Farm uh, where I lived out there at not at Altoffs. Right, yeah. So um, they went they went to the house and took a photo with them in front of the house that, <laughs> that we lived in, and um, it was really nice for me to be able to see that. But it was really nice for them to know it and remember it as well. So, given my kids and my family that opportunity to um, uh, experience uh, a different way of life and in a different country was probably the special thing for me and the football was a catalyst to do that. But in saying that, I enjoy the football a lot more over there than what I did in Sydney because of the way it was played. I mean, in Sydney, every mistake you made over here, you got your ass kicked. Yeah. But in, in the UK, you, you, long as long as you, 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 you've tried and you're doing, trying to do your best and, and – um, you never got your ass kicked for making a mistake as long as you try as long as you cover up or, or try and make up for it. And how how you I suppose um, got together after games and how you get together after training and stuff. We weren't allowed to drink over here. So in Sydney, we weren't allowed to go to pubs and clubs or whatever after training because you know, it's forbidden. You have to go home and, and get plenty of sleep and so it was very strict in regards to that. What I really loved about the UK was after training, we go over a few beers <laughs> and um, social, and you get to know everybody. It's just, it was just really nice and just that, that way of life I really enjoyed. It was just yeah, very special to me. Have you been back to the UK since? Yeah, I come back in. It's funny, I come back in, uh, I was there in 2000. I saw 2001. And I went back again when my daughter went in 2009, 2010. I actually went up and seen Tiger. Oh, excellent! Yeah, I went up to catch up with Tiger. Yeah, <clears throat> um, and you haven't been back since then, but yeah, because my daughter moved over to Brighton, lived in Brighton for three years. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I I went and visited her a couple of times. <clears throat> so yeah, I went to went to went away for a couple of times. Superb stuff. And then just kind of rounding off, first Steve, you obviously you retire in nineteen eighty nine. Did, did you have a plan of what you were going to do career-wise after that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Only about that. Um, what I what I actually did, I I, I retired and I moved down uh, <clears throat> south, about a seven-hour drive south of Sydney to a place called uh, called Eden. And um, I, um, I worked in a pub down there um, just to do something totally different because um, I, I was a landscape gardener when I was playing football. I'm in Sydney. So I wanted to do something totally different. So I got a job in the pub and ended up managing the pub uh, down the South Coast. Um, but I actually got a ha- I built a house um, on the Central Coast, which is an hour north of Sydney. 
Um, and so I was I built that house while I was living down down in Eden. And you know, after two years, I moved up up to the central coast into the house I built. And I got a job in the local hospital as a landscape gardener, and I've been there ever since. Superb stuff, superb stuff. And, and do you do anything else in the community now? Well, at the moment, I I, I manage an Aboriginal health service at the hospital. So I've been been with the hospital for thirty two years. Um, what's what I like about it is I live close to the beach. Um, my wife surfs, my boys surf, so they grab they grab their boards and walk down to have a surf, come home. Um, I'm ten minutes away from work. So the, the lifestyle is really nice. Um, so I just I, I enjoy the lifestyle. My all my I got five kids: uh, Rachel, Kristen, Brian, Nathan, and Mitchell. And they, with all they all live local. So I got five kids. I got now I got six grandkids, and they're all local. And it's just really nice to be able to catch up with them all the time. I, I watch my grandsons play uh, footy all the time, and all that they play, might play Oztag or they play touch. So I spend a lot of time watching them. Um, and I'll spend a fair bit of time with my granddaughters as well. So it's just really nice having that family time. And um, your lifestyle where I live is really nice. It's great that you, you practice this gratitude and you're really thankful for, for little bits and bobs like that as well. Because I, 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 you'll be surprised to hear this as a Yorkshireman, but I surf and I love to surf as well. But my closest beach is two hours away. So I have to be, <laughs> it's a really conscious effort to make a full day of surfing, whereas you can walk down five minutes and you can have a surf. <laughs> well, I'm, where I live on the Central Coast, I'm 10 minutes from six, eight, maybe eight different beaches. Oh. Um, so depend, depending on what, what way the wind's going or what way the swell's going, you can always get away somewhere. Oh, so um, it, my, my boys and my wife love it. <laughs> And last but not least, I ask this to everyone, Steve. But are you a, are you a happy man? You seem like a happy and, and content man now. Yeah, yeah I'm. I mean, I, I, I'm happy. It's, 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 I suppose it's a good question. I'm, I turned sixty three this year, so it's, I'm I'm getting on like everyone else. But yeah, I'm happy and content. Um, life's been really good. I, I suppose playing football for um, whoever I played for has opened doors for me. Um, it's also allowed me to meet a lot of different people. Um, but, but the bottom line for me, I, I could do all that and enjoy it, but the bottom line for me, as long as, I, long as my family's healthy and happy, um, uh, I, I still enjoy going to work. Um, and, uh, yeah, my, 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 my two youngest boys, Nathan and Mitch, both play rugby, and I watch them all the time. And so just it's a really nice – for me, it's, it's a good lifestyle, I, my wife's a um, she's a real busy lady. She she surfs, she sails, um, she's um, she rides bikes, she does a whole range of other stuff. And um, so, seeing them happy makes me happy. And um, yeah, I'm just I'm just yeah, life's good. Superb stuff. And just a kind of a little trivia point for us: out of all the players that have ever played for Wakefield, do you know which heritage number you have? <laughs> oh, someone told me the other day. Graham Gerard told me the other day. Um, He did tell me. I can't. I can't remember it though. <laughs> so you're actually number one thousand. You were the one thousandth player to ever That's play right. for Wakefield Trinity. Yeah. That's right. He he told me that. Yeah. Yeah. Bang yeah, on. So right. if 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 there's ever well. that's picked out, and everybody <laughs> always sees that at the at the Trinity Club we have a board with every player that's ever yeah. played for Trinity, and one thousand is bang in the middle and stands out, and Steve Ellis there and bright and bright. Oh, that's that, that's pretty special. I um yeah. when he, when he Graham Gerard actually told me that. Um, a little while ago, and um, so I, I I can't remember my Parramatta's playing number. 
<laughs> it's easy to remember now. You'll never forget it. <laughs> I'll never forget the Wakefield one now, no. <laughs> Definitely. So, Steve, you played, obviously, you had an, an exceptional career, Australian Kangaroo Tour, state of origin, four grand finals, winners' medals. But for Trinity, you played 20 games and 102 points. And it's been an absolute pleasure to almost to, to, to chat with you regarding your entire career. And, and thank you for giving us your time and your patience with, with the Wakefield Trinity Heritage podcast. Oh, guys, I just want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity because, I mean, I don't sit back and reflect a lot, but having the opportunity to think about all the guys that I played with at, Wake, at, um, at Wakefield has been really not, really nice and really special because they're not only good players, but they're just wonderful men. And we had some really, really fabulous times together. And, yeah, we worked hard and um, uh, spent a lot of time um, playing footy and, and off the field. And it was just really lovely people. And, and they're, only, they're working class people as well. And that's, that was my type of people. So, um, yeah, I want to give it, say thank you for giving me the opportunity. And if you, if you ever do find yourself coming over again, we, we'd be more than happy to present your heritage certificate of, of number 1,000 here at Bellevue. Well, if I get the opportunity, I'll, I'll let you know that I'm coming over. Good stuff. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the episode 79 of the Wakefield Trinity Heritage Podcast. You can find us on podcasting platforms worldwide and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for further information and real-time updates on the podcast. Massive thank you once again to my co-host, Lee Robinson. Thank you to the Zip Zip Man coming all the way from down under, Steve Ella. I have been Jamie Robinson, and we will catch you all down the road. Hi, it's Cammy Tris Kamara. You have been listening to the Trinity Heritage Podcast with Jamie and Lee Robinson. It's unbelievable!